Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Before John and I get started, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan special Tuesday edition. We had to postpone. Normally we're going to be running on Mondays for the rest of the season and the playoffs, but I actually had a chance to announce a game yesterday. So we pushed this back uh, to Tuesday on NBA League Pass and Danny LaRue and I, my partner on Dunkdown, we're going to be doing three more League Pass uh, broadcasts starting tomorrow with Utah and Memphis uh, at 2.30 Eastern. The, the rest of them are going to be during the day, but you can actually watch them later at, at night as well. They're available for League Pass subscribers uh, on uh, the League Pass Digital, or you can buy one game purchase uh, as well at NBA.com. You just click on the game and click on Watch and then Influencer tab. So, John, sorry to hijack that with my self-promotion, but, you know, it was like a dream come through for me. Uh, and also, I, I, I felt it was appropriate, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome for you guys. And uh hope everyone uh, gave, gave it a listen. So, let's uh, start here. We're going to talk about the 10 teams we didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday. Having seen them a little bit more in the bubble, we'll talk about how the race is shaping up throughout the bubble, but particularly at the bottom of both playoff brackets. Uh, but just overall, what have your impressions been on the bubble today? Uh, I would say I've been pleasantly surprised by the overall quality and the pace and speed of the games. Um, the players clearly have their legs. Uh, they need to stop fouling on every play, but I think that's more a case of not being able to play any defense five on five against other people but they're flying up and down the court man and uh the shooting is held up a little better than i expected too so overall entertain games a lot of overtimes a lot of great finishes it's been fun i agree with you wholeheartedly and i mean there's probably been like 10 really really good games so far and and i thought uh, i was i mean i didn't know exactly how much guys were able to work out i mean it seemed like people stayed in decent shape you know, this wasn't going to be the 1999 lockout. Like, guys just are, are smarter about their bodies these days. And after the 2011 lockout, I thought quality of play was pretty good. So, and I thought that some of that information that guys actually play the hardest in terms of the amount of ground that they cover early in the season, guys being fresh, that that might overtake a little bit uh, the fact that they hadn't had a chance to play five on five together that much. And I think that's kind of been true so far. And the other thing I'll add is it's nice not having the eight worst teams in the league there. Yeah, or eight of the worst teams, at least. Yes. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, sir, <laughs> certainly yeah. Washington is making a case for uh, for bottom eight, right? Yeah, I mean, Washington, these current state of Washington and Brooklyn right now mm-hmm. would place them, you know, maybe those might be the two worst teams in the league yeah. with the personnel they have right now. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, it's interesting. This is a bit of an aside, but there are a lot of people who want to see expansion, and I want to see it just because it's great to have NBA basketball in more markets and Seattle and Vancouver or Mexico City. I mean, I think that would be awesome to give the NBA a chance in those markets and more BRI and more jobs. But this is also a little bit of an argument to me in favor of not expanding because you see how good it can be. Like, I think, you know, the fewer teams you have, just the better the quality of play can get. And if you go to 32 teams, now you're just uh, opening things up more. I I think it's pretty clear to me that you just have better games with better players. I mean, they're great games every single night. There's very few duds on the schedule unless Brooklyn and Washington are involved. All the other games I'm like really excited to watch. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I would kind of this is a, a little bit of a data point for me in favor of not doing more expansion. Although I would say the thing we're really seeing is that all 22 teams that are here are playing for something. Yeah. And that that's and that that's probably contributed as much or more to the quality that we're seeing. Um, and if you, the the smaller the league, I mean, there's always going to be teams at the bottom who, you know, by by this point in a normal season are like, eh, <laughs> whatever, you know, get a, have all their veterans take buyouts, but you know, bring up a bunch of young guys, and and so I I don't know that that's contingent on the size of the league as much. So I. I guess I would, I would, from, from what I've seen from like the G League and, and some of the players who come up from there, like, I, I think there's enough talent for two more teams. Um, so give me my Seattle Vancouver trip. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you could also say that maybe there's, I mean, from a BRI standpoint, I, I would be more in favor of moving a team than, than expansion, but building on what you're saying about everyone playing for something, you know, we, you and I talked about this right at the beginning when the shutdown happened that these guys like to play basketball, like being away from the game for four months, like, yes, you know what guys can kind of get a little sick of it. And one, two, three Cancun by the end, uh, but of a normal regular season with 82 games and you just, you're not playing anything for the last two and a half months, but just being away from the game. I mean, I think the guys who are out there, they just want to play. I think they, they went to Orlando. They wanted to actually, support what the league is doing put on a good product a lot more of these games on a percentage basis are on national tv and yeah i think guys are playing really hard another thing too is you probably have fewer injuries right now than you would have at the end of a season because there's a lot of guys who are able to get healthy um you know ben simmons is back for example malcolm brogdon probably Giannis. played Giannis. yeah i mean there are a lot of situations where they've just ha- had a chance to get healthy and you know, you see that it was just attrition at the over the course of a season where guys suffer season ending injuries. You know, thankfully, the only one we've seen so far is Jonathan Isaac. Uh, I mean, not good that he got hurt, but thankfully, there's only been one. So, um, and any other just general thoughts before we start talking about some of these specific teams? Well, the bubble is held, obviously. I mean, that that's that's the biggest thought of all is just that whatever the league is doing seems to be working. And I think. If we can get to the point where it's still holding and we're down to eight teams, I, I think everyone's going to feel pretty awesome about things. Yeah, I mean, I, I always felt like if they could get through the first five, six days uh, without positive tests within the bubble after players have been allowed to have close contact with one another, 
that they had a pretty good chance of pulling it off. And obviously there still needs to be constant vigilance. Yes. Are you a Harry Potter fan at all? Uh, so Harry Potter just goes right over my head, around me, under me, whatever. I just never got into that. Well, I, yeah, it's probably you, the, like, what are we like eight years in age difference or something like that? Uh, I think there's yeah. like, for me, I was like probably just young enough to have kind of picked it up uh, and read it when it was coming out. I was think I was, uh, in my teens when like the first books were coming out. Nah, we for me, out. it was just like, I, there was a little bit of like osmosis from, from, uh, like my nephew, but other than that, like nothing, man. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's pick some teams to talk about here. We got ten that we didn't get a chance to discuss last week, and so now we can, of course, uh, use our bubble insights to discuss them. Who would you like to start with? Let's talk about Anzis, Pesechniks, and the Washington Wizards. Are you really doing this? <laughs> and you realize you realize that like. There's a, there's a skip button, right? You realize, that, like, you realize there is other content on the internet that people could be listening to, right? Like, like at least do it after the last ad, so like people keep listening until then. All right, let's talk about the Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah, zero and three now. Yeah. John Morant struggled to five out of twenty one shooting in their loss to. New Orleans, who they really have not played well against uh, the two times that signed Williamson that has been available. But I think they're still in okay position to make at least the play-in game, even if they, they only have, what, uh, one-and-a-half game lead right now? Yeah, and so it's they're, they're up two, and the question is not only can you can you get in, but can you get in at eight, where you obviously have a bigger advantage. Yeah. Uh, now, you look at the schedule, their last three are Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, and that looks scary, but... I think we already saw today Milwaukee dialed it way back. They basically went in little league mode and played everyone on the team exactly 15 minutes against Brooklyn today. So, well, um, by, by the way, can I interject on that for a second? Mm-hmm. If you're Milwaukee, don't you want to beat Brooklyn? Don't you want to ensure that they're the eight seed instead of Orlando? Yeah, that's a great point. I guess they, I mean, perhaps they were confident enough in Brooklyn losing their remaining games that they didn't really sweat that. Yeah, or I mean, maybe Orlando or, has been playing better, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I, Orlando's look pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk more about them, but but back to Memphis. Yeah, it, it is quite possible. Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee. Yeah, if they were all playing, Memphis probably loses all three of those games. But you know, they they may. I think all three of those teams look likely to be locked in their seat. Toronto's good start makes it pretty unlikely that Boston is going to catch up to them. Boston at least won against Portland. They've got a couple more easy games, so I don't, I don't expect that. And also, by the way, Boston's depth is pretty bad. So if if the starters aren't playing, exactly, have exactly, it's a it. it's a big advantage if you're playing against Boston's backups. Like Toronto's backups can still give you a game, but <laughs> Boston, Boston's yeah. you're you're probably gonna. Uh, I mean, you you uh, you might not give up fifty points if you play against their backups. Yeah, is is Milwaukee gonna sign? Tim Frazier and play a two, three zone the entire game against Memphis in the last game. <laughs> like, they, like they did against OKC a couple of years ago in the last game. Uh, fond game 82 memories. Yeah. yeah. We'll see it. We'll see if we get any other of those fluky, you know, last game of the season, you know, 40 points from Grayson Allen, 50 points from Jamal Crawford type of things. Um, but let's talk about just what we've seen from Memphis uh, on the court here. Yeah. Uh, so to me, what's, 
standing out is the shooting or lack thereof. Um, I think, you know, Jaron Jackson's had a really good year from the three-point line. They've struggled to get other shooters involved. They traded Jay Crowder. They don't have Justice Winslow. Um, DeAnthony Melton has, has really struggled in these three games, which he, he'd given them such a boost off the bench this season. So that's hurt them. So offensively, they just haven't quite been there. And it's been just enough that they lost narrowly to Portland and San Antonio. And that probably shifted the narrative a little on how things are going for them. I mean, they lost two, uh, games in the last 10 seconds, their first two games, but. The, the the overall shooting is the biggest concern because I think you look at their team and that's a weakness you could see coming in. Uh, there's been a lot of Grace and Allen happening to try and get more shooting on the floor, um, which I like. I don't think that's a great overall lineup, but you understand why they're going to it. Just that they need that spacing. But the biggest thing, I mean, John Morant against the under just has to be able to make them pay, and he hasn't yet. Yeah, one of ten from three against new orleans so a lot more of those than expected were spot ups i did watch all all of those and you know i thought it was more him not hitting shots that he could hit i mean those were those were good shots so you know maybe he'll come around he was only averaging two attempts per game and after starting off around 40 percent, he was on the wane as the uh initial season had concluded um yeah I, i'm uh i'm a little worried about them i mean i could see them losing both the, of the plan even if they do get to the eighth seed i think they're also really missing tyus jones that's probably been an under talked about aspect of their struggles yeah they don't have a true third point guard on the roster they've been playing melton there they've been using kyle anderson there you know trying to kind of paper over with some like guard heavy lineups without a true point guard but uh that that definitely has hurt them uh tyus jones before the break that second unit he Melton, uh, Clark come, have been coming in and really giving them a lift, and that hasn't happened so much in the bubble. Uh, last question on them. This is this is a little will require a little insider knowledge. But when you were in Memphis, did the coaches ever consider suggesting to Dylan Brooks that he shouldn't foul as much? <laughs> Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's what it's what you get with. Uh, with with the Dylan Brooks experience, I mean he's, uh, you know he's he's super charged up and super aggressive, and I think that's what has allowed him to become an NBA player despite um, physical tools that maybe aren't overwhelming. But I think he can be his own worst enemy with them too in terms of the the mistakes of aggression between the fouling and the, and the quick shots. Now, as you mentioned, I mean they led Portland by nine with five minutes left in the game in their first game on Friday, and they easily could have beaten San Antonio if uh, Dylan Brooks stays down, although it did take a miracle Jaron Jackson shot to tie it. They trailed most of that game against San Antonio, Mm -hmm. to be fair. And, you know, San Antonio looked pretty good against Philly as well, so maybe that's not as bad of a loss as we thought. So, you know, some of this could be the narrative, but it's also concerning when the issues that you would have thought might have sunk them coming in are the issues that, are bothering them so far. So um say a quick break here and we'll return talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. John and I shall return momentarily. 
but I want to remind you about the best place to get your auto parts. That's rockauto.com. They've been around for over 20 years now selling online, but they are still the same family business they were when they started. You can shop at rockauto.com for auto and body parts from hundreds of vehicles. They have everything from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet for your car. If it's a classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The experience at the bricks and mortar auto parts store just isn't any good. They never have what you need. You go up to that desk. You wait for the guy to go through the same computer system that you'd be looking at at home. And then you get to wait a few days for the part to get there. Why not just go to rockauto.com, get the best prices rather than getting charged more than mechanics do. They don't require a membership. They don't require the pesky account login. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store yes the new orleans i I think you think they've righted the ship a a little bit with this uh, victory over memphis they are one and two but they have uh, the easiest remaining schedule now yeah it's funny because this so this reminds me a little of the like the the round robin at the Olympics where like one game shifts your narrative so much because because it's such a compressed season and New Orleans looks so bad especially that second game against the Clippers and then for them to come out and have Zion really play well defensively New Orleans has been actually good if you look at the numbers from the bubble and now they have the schedule really turned in their favor. So I I think things are trending in the right direction for them. I mean, they still have two games against Sacramento, one against San Antonio. So those are going to matter a lot. But there's no reason they can't win those games with the players they have available to them. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, having won that Memphis game was huge. I mean, this is almost, it could end up being similar to their overall season in microcosm where really hard schedule at the beginning. They lose a bunch of close games. They start six and twenty-two, and then it, things get easier for them. Yeah, Zion. I'm. He actually looked as bad as ever the first stint or two against Memphis, and then he picked it up a little bit more late. Started to look more explosive. Now, I mean, they're going to need him to play well though because he's just such a big part of the offense, and he's just such a focal point, really, kind of on both ends. That yeah. If he's out there and he's playing a lot of minutes and he's not playing well, like he could torpedo them potentially because he's going to drive into three guys and try and score on you. And, you know, largely in a career, he's been able to do that. But if he doesn't do that, he's turning it over. You're going the other way. Like he's very feast or famine. But I, I expect it to be more feast, particularly if you look at these specific matchups 
that they have coming up. Like, you know, they've got games against like the Kings and San Antonio. Like, what the hell are those teams doing with Zion? That it's going to be really weird. I I wonder if like like San Antonio, do you just put Yakupertel on Zion? And tell him to stay near the basket and then put like Lonnie Walker on Derek Favors and just be like, well, Derek Favors isn't going to score. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's it. But then e- even Pirtle is, I mean, we saw against Joel Embiid, he has not enough strength to deal with these strong dudes. And he also fouls out in about 15 minutes every game. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, there there are, there aren't a lot of great answers for, for the Spurs roster in particular. Uh, so that's going to get really interesting. Um, what of the other New Orleans players? Any observations there? Uh, I'm really surprised we're seeing so much Niccolo Melli and not Kenrich Williams um, as a four off the bench. Like I, I, I just think there's not not enough zip there, and uh, just I don't know. <laughs> I just think that hurts them. But that's surprising. Yeah, or they could, or they could bring in Josh Hart as a four. They've been playing Josh Hart, but they're playing him exclusively as a three. And really, really trying to stay big at the four and five. Uh, at times, they even brought in Melly when Brandon Ingram was on the court, which I didn't understand because then you like you can move Ingram up to four and bring in Hart, right? You're just a better team that way. And they haven't really been doing that. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Melly just knows how to play a little bit more. I know that he's very athletically limited, but he at least like kind of thinks like a big man defensively, which. Zion kind of doesn't really, and uh, Ingram doesn't, and Hart doesn't. So maybe that's a thought, and maybe just a, he, he's a, a good shooter. But yeah, twenty minutes for him. They did. He got more of his minutes at the expense of Jackson Hayes in that last game because they had actually been playing Hayes and Zion together, and that didn't really make a lot of sense. And that yeah. might have helped Zion get a little bit more room to operate. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're I would rather just go with Josh Hart, I think, the, as the backup for than Melly. But we'll see how they look. I, I think these games against the Kings, I would favor them quite a bit because the Kings are just going to try and run up and down with them, and I don't think they have the firepower to do that, and they don't have anybody to stop anyone either. So I'm uh, I, I'm feeling optimistic about New Orleans' chances. The projection systems have them. I mean, they could, New Orleans could still even get to eighth, but they still seem yeah. like the favorite to get into the play in. If San Antonio had not blown that one against Philly last night, though, they'd be in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they would be in totally good shape right now. And mm-hmm. I mean, their youngs look great. I mean, I think this has been there are probably a lot of teams that are outside the bubble that are jealous that their young players aren't getting the same chance that some of these San Antonio guys are to develop. Yeah, so I guess let's move to the Spurs here because I think they're a great story, uh, even if they don't end up making it. Um, first of all, they, uh, they made, did a couple things that honestly they should have done a long time ago. I mean, what, why they were starting Bryn Forbes all year, I have no idea. Um, you got Derek well, White I, I can starting next that. to Murray now. Yeah, you need, you wanted to have another shooter around all your mid-range post-ups for LaMarcus yeah. Aldridge. Well, well yeah. I mean, cause let's remember this, right? Derek White at the start of the year, like he played on Team USA and he couldn't get off the bench on a Team USA that, that certainly could have used him. They were pretty light once some of the injuries happened uh, because he couldn't make a shot from the FIBA three-point line. 
And now, like last night, Danny and I did that game live for League Pass, and I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs as he makes a ridiculous four point play, fading away, coming off a screen, and he's just shooting with absolutely no hesitation. Like he was not this player mm-hmm. early on, and even Dejounte Murray is taking a few more threes now, and his mid ranger looks better. So I don't know if those. And remember, Murray is coming off the torn ACL in the beginning. You've also just got like some vets who are who have some equity there and they, you know, they made the playoffs with this group essentially last year. They thought they had a formula that was pretty good. So I understand why they didn't go to it. Um, now as they fell out of things, I think I would have gone to it earlier, you know, but at the very beginning of the season, I kind of, I kind of get why they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, um, I've also been pretty impressed with the two rookies they've had out there. Keldon Johnson, uh, just a high energy, hard playing, uh, he's a straight line driver, but he's actually, because he's pretty big and pretty athletic, it actually kind of still works. And yeah. he, he's really patient. I've found actually like surprisingly so for a rookie who always likes to drive out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can defend pretty well. Uh, shoots it okay. Um, so like you, you want to guard him out there at least. So. I think he's been good, and then he, he played some good defense on Tobias Harris last night too. Yeah, uh, he's just he's a smart cutter. Like he really uh, uh, seems to understand the game pretty well. And if you have someone with a brain with his physical tools, like you got a player, and he plays hard. Uh, so I, I think that's been a really positive story for them. Uh, their second round pick, Quindari Witherspoon. Uh, didn't have a great offensive season in the G League. He's really impressed me defensively. Oh, yeah. uh, he's held up against switches, against bigs. I mean, you saw him last night two different times, switched on to Joel Embiid and actually really kind of got into his body, made it tough for him, picked Raul Neto in the backcourt, uh, has passed up a bajillion open three-point shots, which I don't understand. I'm like, I saw him a bunch at Mississippi State. Like, he's not a bad shooter. And I, I don't know why he's been so gun shy that yeah, way. I mean, I think I, I really think there's this this feeling in San Antonio that you just we're not going to let you shoot threes until we think you're going to hit forty percent on them. It kind of seems right, like that's right. the philosophy almost. Right. Yeah, that could be that that could be uh, could be something to that. But they um that they, they have to be really happy with those two guys. Uh, probably regretting a little bit picking up that guarantee on Aldridge next year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I think there was just sort of a, hey, we're going to do right by you type of thing to that as well. I mean, think of them even just releasing Damari Carroll and basically just paying him for next year. They, they're paying him $7 million to, you know, where, who knows where he's going to be next year. So the, I think they kind of, they're trying to just be nice in some of these respects. And, you know, Alger has been a good organizational soldier and he, he had that whole detente with Greg Popovich after potentially wanting to be traded his first year there and stuff. And so he's kind of bought into what they're doing and who knows what else they would be doing. I mean, I don't think they would have had a ton of cap space without him, but no, it's there. There could be a tax issue though. We'll see. Yeah. Um, they may have to trade Rudy Gay or Patty Mills if they want to keep Jakob Pertle. That, that, that's really the obstacle. Yeah. Well, and just the cash issue as well. We'll see with uh, some of these teams just not having the revenue from fans and owners other businesses potentially being impacted you know we really don't have a way to know as of now which teams are going to be like hey you know what we just would like to save some like actual real cash money here yeah yeah we we can take a good guess at one or two of them though <laughs> all right who do you want to talk about next here uh i don't know why i thought of this team next when we talked about teams trying to save money but how about phoenix well I mean, you don't really need a g-league franchise right 
I mean, it's optional, I guess, you know. I mean, what do you really need? <laughs> uh, yeah, so for those who didn't hear, the Pistons actually bought the Suns G League franchise because the uh, essentially the owners of the Grand Rapids Drive didn't want to move them to Detroit. And it, you've talked about this, how important it is just to have your G League franchise like right there in the same city. Even being two hours away is like too much of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I never understood why the Suns put their team where it was in the first place, but they obviously they sold it and moved on. So now they have kind of no, they, they, they have no G League option at least, which is weird because I think next year they're really going to be in win now mode. So their young players probably could really use the G League. Well, that's interesting. It seems to me like they're just kind of going in the direction of we're just not really going to have those kind of young players anymore. I think James Jones came in with a little bit of a mandate of like, all right, enough of this young guy stuff. We're just going to have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, if you, the young guys aren't playing, not the end of the world, uh, because we're just, we're trying to win. It seems like now I, I don't agree with no, that they, approach, but just based on some of the comments that they've had, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the fact that they drafted Cam Johnson, someone who's ready to play and who's been good, as we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah. I mean, they um, did also give yeah. Jalen LeCue a, a four year deal out of high school which seems to be a prominent case for like a, a usage case for your G league team. Uh, yeah. I mean, we did a, a workup on him for our young player series. He might've been the worst player in the G league this year. So he's, <laughs> he's got a long way to go. <laughs> Even though I do, I mean, I like some of his physical tools, but he's, uh, he's, he's got yeah. a long way to go. I, I, I just said that. Uh, yes. But, yes. but how have they looked uh, in the games? That part has been quite encouraging. I have been uh, pretty impressed with them. They're, they're playing the Clippers right now as we record this. So if they end up losing by 50 today, uh, don't don't pin that on us. But I've been pretty pleased with, with how they've played. I think they found something bringing Saric off the bench, playing Johnson and Bridges as the forwards. And I'm presuming Kelly Oubre will be part of that when he's healthy next year too. Uh, playing a little smaller and faster with more shooting and – then bringing Saric off the bench, and sometimes even as a five off the bench. Uh, yeah. Beating Dallas when Booker and Aiton had five fouls in the middle of the third quarter. Their bench guys came in. They, um, I thought Cameron Payne was a pretty good pickup out of the G League. I thought he was good in the G League, and they really needed a backup point guard who could just come in and not kill them. And he's been able to do that so far. Yeah, he's had a nice campaign so far in Orlando. Oh, come on. Hey, I mean, if you're gonna just leave it out there for me to do it, I mean, I figured, I figured that'd be you. Sadly, Kevin Pelton is not on this podcast to have, to have taken those honors for us instead. But yeah, Cam, Cam Johnson's looked good. He looks to have sped up his release even more. I mean, some of these, it's just like not even touching his hands before it's going through the net on some of these catch and shoots. And um, you know, I'd like to see more from him as a threat coming off of screens as well. But I mean, that was a criticized pick, but. Hey, you get someone who can play at eleven. That's fine. I mean, he's uh, he looks. I'd rather have him than the guy that the Timberwolves picked at six on the other end of that trade. Well, it's it's as it turns out. I mean, in terms of a normal draft value, you you six is going to have a much higher ROI than eleven usually. Uh, was not the case really between any for any pick between three and ten this year, as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of a weird. Weird draft that way. And yeah, give him, give him credit. Johnson's turned out. Mikhail Bridges, uh, I've been really impressed with him defensively. Just his, his ability to use his length to slide his feet. I mean, he is a good defensive player. 
Yeah, and uh, you know they were able to kind of wear down Luka Doncic a little bit by the end of that game. I mean, that's been one of the disappointments for Dallas. Their late game stuff. Now, I I will say, hey, again, let's not go crazy. They won kind of a lucky game, you might say, against Dallas. They were trailing that whole game. Uh, you know, they beat Washington, so who cares? Yeah. And but I mean, just the way they've looked out there, it has been impressive and that's good to see because i think they've uh it's been a backwater for so long as you wrote about today they do at least you know i don't think this team's gonna be a championship contender anytime soon but they look it should at least be a respectable franchise for the foreseeable future with the guys they have in there now yeah i think too big a hill to climb to get into the top nine and get into the play-in uh for them but i think they got to be optimistic that maybe they can get into the playoffs next season depending on what they like their cap situation is pretty clean they're going to have another pretty good draft pick that they, they got a lot of things lined up in their favor yeah a lot of people were crapping on them uh, maybe us even a, a little bit that they didn't deserve to be here but they're clearly playing hard and they're playing their best guys and they have a, a chance to at least make the games they're playing in competitive so far i mean who knows they could lose their next six games let's not go crazy but yeah uh, at least so far it, it's been worthwhile who you want to talk about next? Let's talk about um, you know who you know what I want to sh- I want to shift gears here. Uh, let's talk about from the Phoenix Suns to a former Phoenix Sun, uh, T.J. Warren, and the Indiana Pacers. Oh yeah, you, you think that uh, eighty-seven points in two games is that good? <laughs> it's really good when Ben Simmons is guarding you in one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, ben, ben Simmons has not been that good defensively so far in the bubble, but. Yeah, yeah, but the the shot making by TJ Warren in that Philadelphia game though was absurd. Uh, just a lot, a lot of tough twos, a lot of pull ups, floater game. You know, he's always had that in between game going back to NC State, but he's added so much range and accuracy to where now he's comfortable taking threes off the dribble. It's just made him such a weapon. He also just has some of the best feel for finishing at the rim in the NBA, like. When he goes up for a shot at the rim, it, it do, almost doesn't matter what the contest is. I'm like, this guy's going to finish it. Like he just, his touch, his ability to move the ball around, avoid getting his shot blocked at the basket. Like it's really, that's, that's always been there. But yeah. I mean, for those who saw him in college, him going nine of 12 from three in an NBA game is not something you necessarily would have predicted. Not at all. Not at all. And, uh, just uh, just really impo- an important win for Indiana, too, because now I think there's a real chance they can stay at five and end up against Miami in the first round, which they'll be an underdog against Miami, but that feels a lot more winnable than Boston, certainly. Yeah, and, and we'll see. Miami has kind of had their own, I don't want to say issues, but they're evolving a little bit. We're seeing a little bit of a different look from them. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we kind of do our our playoff preview uh, as uh, next week, I imagine we'll probably do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Indiana, they, uh, we've seen probably three teams that are putting out some of just the worst defensive rebounding groups like we've seen in the NBA, maybe <laughs> ever. Yeah. I mean, Indiana gave up 47% offensive rebounds and still won yeah. against Philly and, and, you know, Houston got killed in the offensive glass against Milwaukee. They also won by the way, uh, and San Antonio you know, basically has one big man that they're playing. Eubanks yeah. gets a little bit of time. so uh, But th- they've held up uh, so far, it-, it seems like. And, you know, Warren has been awesome. Oladipo is playing. How do you feel Oladipo looks? Uh, I still feel like he's 
like fighting the game a little bit almost like he he doesn't quite ha- he wants to go and attack and use all his speed yeah. but he's he doesn't quite have all of the the timing and all of the zip back and it was similar to how he looked when he first came back uh he looks better now though i think uh just qualitatively to my eye than he did when he was coming back in february and march he, he looks like he has more of that timing back but it's not all the way there yet well, and it's going to be difficult for him because I, I know that he sees himself as a star and he played at that level in his last healthy season, but that was now uh, almost two years ago, two and a half years ago that we last saw him at that level. And I think he can still be a really valuable player. His defense to me has looked as good as ever, but he, in particular at the rim, his finishing hasn't been there and he's still got burst. He's still faster than your average NBA player, but he's not, you know, the fastest guy off the pick and roll, which he might've yeah. been uh, two years ago when you would, when he would just split uh, double teams at the point of attack and pick and roll all the time. And he would just be at the basket in a flash. We just haven't seen that level for him. So he may need to dial it back a little bit more for the good of the Pacers, but he also is extension eligible. He also is going to be a free agent after next year. He's playing uh, in part, I assume to try and build up his value a little bit. And so we may see a little bit of tension between him wanting to be the number one guy, they just got Brogdon back as well uh, yesterday, but Oladipo didn't play in that because it's a back-to-back. So with Warren going crazy, Brogdon back from injury himself, and Oladipo, how are things going to get distributed on the perimeter? I think is going to be a fascinating question for the Pacers. And one that will likely carry into the offseason, because I do think there's going to be, they should at least be discussing internally whether to trade him ahead of his free agent year because an extension doesn't really seem to be in the cards because his number is too low. If, as long as Oladipo thinks he's a max guy, an extension is impossible because they can't do a max extension for him, even if they wanted to. So yeah, they'd be limited to around like 26 million a year yeah. or so. So I mean, now I'll tell you what, if I were him, you, I'd put pen to paper on that right now if they offered it. Yeah. 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 I, I just, I, it's, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I both agree on that. I just don't know what the perception is with the player and his people, because I I think he's thinking of himself pre-injury, probably. Well, and we don't even know that the Pacers have offered him the maximum extension that they can either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to be an interesting offseason in Indy between that and uh the you know the Sabonis Turner partnership I think it worked well enough that they can probably go ahead and start next year with that and not really worry about that so much. But on the on the Oladipo side, I think it's going to get really interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they play without Sabonis. You know, I, I think while he helps a lot in pick and roll, he also you know he's the focal point of the offense. He's got to be screening all the time. He's got to be posting up with Miles Turner out there. Although the numbers before the shutdown with Miles Turner. And no Sabonis were not good, uh, although that was with a lot of backups out there. Yeah. You know, maybe you could say that with all these guys who can drive to the basket and maybe not as much uh, pure shooting on the floor, that you're better off just having a big who's going to space it out instead. Um, you know, we'll see whether that actually turns out to be true or not, but it, this could be an impetus to move on from Sabonis, although he's such a hero there. I, I'd be surprised if they did that. All right. Who do we got next here? Let's, uh, Let's take a quick break first. We got got to get a nice buffer zone before with our last break before we start talking about the dreaded Brooklyn 
and Washington group. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Should we talk about the 2-0 Orlando Magic? Yeah, I think they look good. Obviously, that's been dwarfed by this other thing that happened uh, because their their best, certainly future piece, the one guy on the team that you could see being an all-star three years from now, uh, Jonathan Isaac tore his ACL, unfortunately, uh, in their second game where they were running Sacramento out of the gym. Uh, what, that that well, to, has... To be clear, before, before you expand on that, I don't blame the magic for playing him in that situation like he's on a minutes limit they're trying to get him back up to conditioning like he, he needed to be out there i don't i'm like the whole oh what was he doing in a 25 point game i do you agree with me that like yeah it was part of the plan to have him out there for x number of minutes to just exactly like, let him get a seat exactly legs. and actually a 25 point game is usually some of the least intense minutes where a guy's not gonna Try to stretch himself and do something he can't usually. Uh, so that that actually was probably the right move, and just unfortunately, this is a thing that can always happen. Can you ever remember a guy suffering a significant injury when he already had a brace on that knee? Yeah, that's kind of a new one, right? I I can't I can't think of it offhand. I I have to think it has happened, but I I can't think of an example. Yeah, maybe like Larry Kristoviak. Wow, that's a back in the day one. Didn't he like tear his ACL like six times or something? He he tore he tore it a couple times. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he definitely had a big ugly knee brace for like half his career. Yeah, um, but no, I mean, I I definitely can't because I mean, the whole idea of the braces, yeah, like it's a little bulkier. You can't move as well, but you're also uh, preventing the knee from turning in a way that's going to tear your ACL. But yeah, so that that's really a bummer and. You know, we'll have a lot more chance to talk about how that affects them long term. Um, but yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you as you were going to transition into something else there. Yeah, I just, since the midpoint of the year, offensively, they found a new life and it's, it's, it's really weird. They've been scoring at a really high rate with basically the same players who had them in the low twenties for most of the year. It is really odd. I mean, they've got over 70% true shooting during the competitive portions of their two games, admittedly against Brooklyn and Sacramento. Not exactly a murder's row, but, you know, this is a team that, as you mentioned, I mean, they're shooting under 30% from three for like large swaths of this season. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I went to Orlando for two games, uh, early in the season and it, I mean, offensively, like they just couldn't score at all. Like it was, it was, 
you, like you wanted to rip your eyes out almost like it was just painful to watch and to see them progress into into this has been pretty amazing uh i think some personnel changes have had a little bit to do with it i mean that having alfaruk aminu out of the lineup who couldn't make a shot at all before he got hurt uh i think has helped a little bit but by and large it's been the same guys and they've just really gelled and and come together absolutely I, I, the thing that struck me against brooklyn in particular that's actually another game that we did for league pass was just the gravity of vucevic and that teams really have difficulty dealing with those wide pin downs that he sets for guys coming out of the corner particularly if it's fournier but it could be terrence ross as well because then he'll set that the big has to help at, uh either to prevent a wide open three or prevent the guy curling into the lane and then you can just throw it to him for the pick and pop three or the big is kind of stuck to Vucevic and then the guy gets going right down the lane to his right hand for layups. And, yeah. you know, Brooklyn's kind of designed to take that away, but even they uh, really struggled to protect the rim in that game. So I, I thought that Vucevic, he has disappointed this year. You know, he, he was never going to play at the same level as last year, but he still causes some problems for teams. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting is they're not playing Mo Bamba right now. Yeah. That's they, a they're playing Ken Birch at backup five, and Bamba is getting DNPs. And he actually, I felt like he was he was improving as as the year had gone on. Now I don't know if he came back out of shape or what, but uh, that that's been notable, I would say. Yeah, and Birch had really struggled in part because he was playing at the four. But I mean, I think he must have just kicked Bamba's butt in camp, and they said, "Hey, we got a little." 10 game season here probably or well no I'll be honest 12 game season uh, <laughs> 13 come on they won game I, I, one against Toronto last year yeah that's right I, I actually think that they I don't think they're a threat to win the series but I think they they're good enough to win a playoff kind of, game yeah. yeah yeah they could I, I could even see that series going six maybe um uh, we'll see with, with Toronto but uh yeah that that is really interesting and you'd imagine that that presages maybe an acknowledgement that that pick just didn't work out at this point yeah could be that's uh i I mean to the extent where it's like you know let's let's take a take it back to where they were when they picked him right vucevic is going to be a free agent a year from there you think okay vucevic will move on from him we're not really you know we've been mired in this playoff list drought we're probably not going to make the playoffs again this year and then bomba will step in as our center and now of course they made the playoffs last year they re-signed vucevic and at the same time you know bomba hasn't at a minimum, even if he's taken steps this year, he hasn't looked like a foundational piece. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. If at this point, if they needed his contract to complete a trade, I'm not sure that would be the obstacle to getting it done. Fair, fair point. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing that stuck out to me when I watched a bunch of film on Bamba recently is just other than shooting a wide open three pointer, he's really bad offensively. Yeah. Yeah, because he he can't he can't really post. He doesn't have great feel for for distribution, so he's not going to be a guy who's like you know hitting cutters and and whatnot. Like like compared to like Vooch, like Vooch can make the shot, but he's he's also skilled. Like he can pass, he can put it on the floor a little bit, and and Bamba just doesn't have those elements to his game. Yeah, he also might be the worst pick and roll center in the NBA. As when you throw together. The fact that he can't make any contact on a screen ever. He's got no 
just like feel for like flipping the angle or when to slip it. And then that he can't make decisions on the move. His hands are bad. He can't power up inside. If you find him on anything Mm -hmm. other than just a straight alley-oop and he's not quite that nuclear, like just go get it at the corner of the backboard guy either Yeah, on the alley-oops. He really, you know, if it's not just a straight pick and pop, he's really a pretty powerless for you offensively. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, just the tempo of getting into it too. Like, like Rudy get or like Rudy Gobert, just like like he sprints into that screen, you know, and yeah. like Bamba, it's just not that that kind of tempo. Um, but you know, and Evan Fournier has looked awesome. His option decision is going to be a very interesting one going forward. I mean, they're kind of in a similar situation with him as they were with Vucevic a, a year ago. Of do you give this guy a bunch more money in his late twenties to keep this eighth seed together for perpetuity or do you let him go but now you're gonna have to take a step back next year it's uh those decisions are tough yeah they got a couple really tough choices dj augustine and michael carter williams have both played well they're gonna be free agents uh they and they don't have unlimited money to play with here so they, they have to make some tough decisions i wonder what they're gonna do with aaron gordon but maybe Isaac tearing his ACL leaves the door open for Gordon to come back now. There's a lot of moving parts here looking ahead. It's going to be an interesting summer for Jeff Weltman. Or I say summer. It's going to be an interesting fall for Jeff Weltman. I'm so used to saying I know, summer. But for the my, my dates are all messed up. We can still say summer. It's fine. <laughs> okay. We're, we're uh, I mean, you know, everybody else in our country is preventing that uh, COVID-19 never happened. So you know, we can do it too, right? <laughs> There you go. Uh, let's talk about Portland and sure. the thing that sticks out to me the most about them. I don't really care whether they make the playoffs or not for them in the long term, but I think the fact that Yusuf Nurkic is back and looking like the same guy that he did yeah. pre-injury is by far the most important thing that could have happened for Portland right now. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, I mean, he looks all the way back, right? Like he's, he's that guy. His six blocks in the first game, including two blocks of three pointers. Yes, I would say that he is back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, that lateral mobility that he has is just such a, such an order of magnitude difference from playing with, uh, from playing with Whiteside or Collins even. So, uh, I, I, I think that gives them another really high level player to have out there with, with Lillard. And you look ahead to next year and that's, so that looks a lot more like a playoff caliber team then, right? Um, I still think they need to, uh, fix some things at the three and four, especially, uh, they got a little thing going where their best lineup now, even though they, oh, yeah, I was, I, I wanted to talk to you about this, even though they don't seem to want to play this way is with Trent at the three. And Mello at the four and, and Nurk at the five. And, and this thing of playing Zach Collins at the four, which I was a little dubious about from the start. Like, I just don't think it works. Oh, that's interesting because I was going to posit that down the stretch against Boston, mm-hmm. they had Trent and Collins out there as I believe as, as they were making part of their comeback. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, who is Mello going to come in for? Is it going right. to be Gary Trent? Well, Trent was on fire. So they took out Zach Collins instead. And Collins, I thought, held up okay-ish on the perimeter. I mean, it's never going to be amazing. I still, if you want to say, who would I rather have out there guarding an ISO, Zach Collins or Mello? I probably would take Zach Collins in that, frankly. And Collins, of course, provides more on the boards and is a help defender. Doesn't give you the spacing necessarily, but he can kind of stand out there and, uh, you know, he'll shoot it if he's open. I don't know if it's going to go in or not. Uh, 
So I don't know. I think it actually that Mello might make more sense as the odd man out, particularly because Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum and Nurkic are going to get the reps offensively. It's kind of like uh the Lou Williams problem now in LA yeah. where it's like you, you're not going to give him the ball at the end of the game and he kills you on defense. So why is he going to be out there? At least Mello does give you a little more spacing though. So I, I don't, I, I don't know that for sure I would play Collins and Trent at the end of games, but I certainly, let, let me put it this way. I would, I would play Trent, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I think if Ariza's back next year, then you play Ariza at the four and, 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 and that's a better lineup than anything they could do with either of these other guys. Yeah. And I completely understand why Ariza didn't want to come to the bubble. Uh, he has uh, very legitimate reasons with uh, the custody issues that, that he's having and visitation time uh, with his child. But having him, I think, really could have made this team pretty dangerous, particularly with how Trent is playing. If you could have gone with Ariza at the four, Trent. And, you know, get so, some pretty decent defense on the wing and yeah. Nurkic at the five. I think that could have been really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's still one of the biggest issues with this team going forward is just, are they are they going to be a league average defense at some point? And I think they can get there with Nurkic being back. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, they that, were last year, right? Before Nurkic more, went down? They, um uh, I, th- I think you're right. I think even on the season, they were maybe 16th or something. They were like third in offense, yeah. 16th in defense. But yeah, and certainly, and I think what the numbers when he was on the floor, but like his like on off one metric numbers were really good. So mm-hmm. I, I think uh, now will that defense hold up in the playoffs against teams that can really bomb it? Um, you know, it, it's always tough to say that too because all of the like Houston, all oh, their defense won't hold up in the playoffs. Uh, oh, Portland, their defense won't hold up in the playoffs. Well, yeah, they lost to like. Those teams lost to like Golden State, which is like the greatest offensive team of yeah. all time. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, you can't really play a drop coverage against Steph Curry, but you know, who are the teams that you can't play a drop coverage against these days now? Even though offense has gone up overall, you know, it might be more possible to play a conventional style and defend well enough. Anything else on them? Uh, I think it's about, you know, still an uphill battle, uh, for them to, because their schedule is so tough these next four games. Still an uphill battle for them to get into that nine position. Uh, so, so that's going to be interesting. And, uh, Houston, Portland tonight, D'Antoni against Carmelo. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think somebody might be targeted a little bit. Oh, man. Wow. That's, uh, that's going to be fascinating. Let's, uh, let's turn to Sacramento now. Disappointing yeah. start uh, for them against San Antonio, who has been better than expected, but then really uncompetitive against uh, Orlando. And they weren't even really that close against San Antonio either. Their defense has been atrocious. Yes. And, you know, they uh, they matched up smaller against Dallas today, which I, I think was the the right move. They, I think th- that lineup was just too big. When you're playing Belitza at the four with a with a traditional five in, in Holmes, and then you have Harrison Barnes at three, like I, I, I just... There just wasn't enough there. So getting, uh, you know, making more room for, uh, for Bazemore and Corey Joseph, even though they hurt you offensively, I think they had to do that just to get some stops. Yeah. And as I say this, I obviously we're recording, so I haven't had a chance to watch this game, but they've actually held down Dallas pretty well. Although counting on seven of 36 three point shooting from Dallas uh, may not be uh, the way to go there. Um, so. De'Aaron Fox looked really good in the first game. He had a career high in shot attempts by nine, 33 shot attempts. Yeah. His previous career high had been 24. He was, he was really good that first game. Um, 
You know, Buddy Heald uh, has uh, had some struggles. He cannot buy one, man. Yeah. And, you know, they committed to that huge extension for him and which it's, it's looking like a real reach now to, to go a hundred million on him when he's not even starting. And frankly, like I, that's a defensible decision. I, I think Bogdanovich and Heald are pretty close in ability, I would say, right? Um, except for well, Bogdanovich well, actually, is apparently, Bogdanovich is apparently 0 for 14 from the field today. Yeah, so set that part aside. <laughs> But he's plus fives still. Yeah, there you um, go. But, Single mean, game plus me, minus for the win. Yeah, to me, Bogdanovich is a better passer and defender and makes more sense in the starting lineup than Heald. But it does seem, and, and they took off actually a little bit when Heald went to the bench early. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or I shouldn't say early, but it, you know, a couple months into the season. So maybe, maybe that's the best way of playing. And Heald kind of makes more sense off the bench, but it also seems like he is unhappy coming off the bench he's also the sort of guy who's not afraid to say that he's unhappy coming yeah off the bench. absolutely absolutely i do think buddy works better if there's another guy coming in with him that can that can dribble and be more of a playmaker i mean there's so much buddy healed on the ball pick and roll with that second group which i mean you really want him setting up and, and shooting right that, that's where he's most dangerous yeah coming off of screens or you know you have someone else run the initial pick and roll you throw it to him on the weak side he runs a pick and roll and then he can shoot that three off the dribble because the big guy guarding the second screener is like crashed into the lane on the first pick and roll you know that that's the sort of stuff yeah if you're just uh having him like go at the line of scrimmage in a pick and roll it's probably not going to end too well yeah so that's that's where i think the um the joseph signing hurt them is that they just don't have enough offensive juice at the guard spot when when fox is out of the game and that's put a lot of responsibility on Heald that I think is probably more than his offensive game can handle. You, you know what they should do? I mean, I, and maybe he can't do this anymore, but Nemanja Bialica won a EuroLeague MVP as like primarily a pick and roll player. And he's, to yeah. his credit, he has morphed into this awesome deep shooter now, but give him a few more reps. I mean, maybe you switch that and it wouldn't work, but like he's got, he, he's actually like, you know, probably the best passer on this team, but they never yeah. actually give him the ball to do anything. Yeah, I mean, because you could do stuff if he's coming off the bench too, especially where you have him come in as like this goofball five, but handle the ball. Like they they could do some fun stuff there. Yeah, do you know, run like a pick and pop with him and Buddy Heald? Like that could be some interesting stuff. But you know, Bielitsa, he just is standing at the three point line all the time. Now, part of that is because they also need his shooting, but I, I think. I think that's something that they should consider a little bit more. I mean, and again, maybe he doesn't have that. We haven't really seen him get a chance to do any of that stuff in the NBA, which always kind of bummed me out because he was so good in that role internationally. Yeah. Anyone who saw him play for the uh, Serbian national team over the last several years, I mean, he was, he was a real threat doing, doing that stuff, bringing the ball up, running, as you said, running, running pick and roll action and you haven't, you're covering him with a four. So it's just, it's just hard for the defense. Well, I'll tell you what's not hard for the defense. Playing against the Brooklyn Nets, <laughs> although they did beat they did beat the, uh, the they beat they beat Bucks a light today a version of the Milwaukee Bucks they beat today yes yeah although that version of the Milwaukee Bucks has actually won games this year and they did shoot fifty seven three point attempts in regulation against the Bucks well that's Milwaukee's like that's Milwaukee's scheme right like you're gonna get you're gonna get some threes against them. Uh, yeah, just a few, <laughs> especially if you're going to get some shots up. But I, I actually, it's interesting because it, Brooklyn's, uh, when we did that game against the Magic, Brooklyn actually had a 40 point 
first quarter as well, as they did uh, against Milwaukee. And so what Orlando started doing was the, cause guys were getting kind of a, Karis LeVert in particular, getting ahead of steam against Vucevic, mm-hmm. either finishing at the rim or being a set up Jared Allen. He had 10 points in the first quarter of that game yep. against the Magic. And so what the Magic started doing was bring Nikola Vucevic up to the level of the ball and even trapping on those screens and the nets don't really have a role man who can make a play they don't really have any traditional playmakers other than Levert. so they got the ball out of his hands and then the nets just couldn't do anything it was all pick and roll tyler johnson mid-range jumper from there on out and so the bucks almost against a team like the nets all you have to do is drive against the bucks and four guys are going to go guard you and so yes the math usually works out because if you don't let them get anything at the rim, it doesn't matter what happens from three-point range. But the Nets are so limited offensively to begin with that, like, even getting an open three-point shot, they can't do that. So it actually, yeah. you know, at least they're able to get up. I mean, to get up 57 threes and hit 37%, that's way better than what they're able to do in just a, a normal game. Yeah, so, yeah, and and without turnovers. Yeah. Um, How's Levert looking to you? That's probably the biggest question that we have is like what he looks like in this role as the primary guy. I think he's a sixth man. I, I like he's he's pretty good on the ball. Like he can he can he can snake to a to a pull up pretty easily. Uh, he's got pretty good size. His handle's pretty good. He's not a great long range shooter. I think I think teams need to experiment with going under against him a little more. Um, and he doesn't get all the way to the rim that much. And then as a distributor, his decision-making is still, let's say, a work in progress. But it is, So to me, he's the guy who comes off the bench when Kyrie and Durant are out of the game and can get can give you 20 points from another player by, by scoring with the bench unit. I thought that was Spencer Dinwiddie. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so the, the point being that he may be a little redundant uh, on this team, but this is, this is almost his audition to get traded somewhere. And, you know, if there's a team that really thinks he can have a primary role, but it sounds like you don't think that he is, is quite at that level. I don't think he's quite that guy, but I, I do think he has trade value. I, I think this is something the Nets should explore. And I would think that's one of the reasons they, did the extension they did is because they felt like it would be tradable at some point because I think there there are pieces that fit better than what they ha- than what they have with Karis LeVert like Dinwiddie I'd I'd want to keep around a little more because you don't know if Kyrie Irving's going to play you know seventeen games next year but uh, Le- LeVert I think his his fit is less clear yeah now I mean we have seen him be absolutely dominant at times but that's predicated on the jumper falling if the jumper isn't falling. Then it gets to be a little bit more difficult for him. I mean, that that game against Boston, obviously, when he had the thirty-seven in the fourth quarter in overtime, that's how he did it. Washington, yeah. So, uh, r- really briefly, uh, th- so the thing that surprised me a little, so the two guys I like on Washington the most are Troy Brown and Isak Bonga, and I don't get the impression the Wizards feel that way. I, I Scott Brooks may not. Yeah, that they they seem more interested in Hachimura and Robinson. Why on earth are they interested in Robinson? Yeah, I don't, Can you I don't answer know. Answer that they, for me. Yeah, I mean, they, like I know you and I both agree he's not any good, but like, is there even like an argument of how he could be good? Uh, he definitely could shoot better based on his college numbers. Like his shooting has definitely been a disappointment. The I think the Wizards feel like he has potential as a defense guy, which I don't really see. Yeah, I kind of see him as all right. If the shooting comes around to being like high thirties. And he ups his volume. He's a backup guard. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I I think that's basically what we're looking at. Um, yeah, I know you're a, a big Troy Braun stan. I, I'm coming around on him a little bit. I think he does have some pretty good feel. He's improved his finishing a lot this year. Yeah, Hachimura is another one where I, I'm just it's he's got such nice physical tools, but it I really you know it, they got to get the computer programmers in a lab and like upload some basketball IQ. To, to, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, he, he's and he works really hard. He's a great kid. He came to the game late though, so he just I don't think he quite has the natural feel for the team game. Yeah. Now, I think the case that was made for him is he did improve rapidly at Gonzaga. I mean, he was basically DNP as a freshman and, uh, you know, took took major steps each year. So can he continue to do that? But it, we haven't really seen him improve much over the course of this first season. So that's a concern. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know. I don't, what else you got? You, you watched their game against Brooklyn, which was like their one chance of maybe making some noise. Having lost that, they are surely not going to well actually now that brooklyn has beaten milwaukee they're really done they would have yeah. to they're yeah. The, yeah they would have to win four games the the washington would just to tie brooklyn yeah or yeah. i'm sorry I mean, just to get within four to force a play in where they would have to beat brooklyn twice in the eight nine yeah so i th- my only other observation i was i was disappointed with shabazz napier i thought he'd give them a lot more i, I didn't think he played well at all and, and that that hurt them yeah well i it, i mean I kind of like this whole small sample thing, actually. I like that we're just, there's only eight games. And so it's like, you know, normally you'd be like, ah, it's only two games at the start of the season. But now these games actually matter. And so we can actually talk about like someone had a disappointing two games and that matters now. Like I, I kind of, I like that. It's maybe a, an argument for having fewer games in the end. But yeah, it, it's, uh, what do you think their starting lineup is next year? Let me ask you that. All right, so are you asking me what their lineup will be or what their lineup should be? I mean, I I don't really think Hachimura should be starting next year, but I think he's probably going to start. I think Thomas Bryan will be starting at the five. Uh, I would like to see Troy Brown start at the three. I think it's going to be Bonga or maybe even Robinson, although I hope not. Uh, there's going to be another high first-round pick in the mix here, too, so we'll see what position that player is. And then are they going to get another five, or is Thomas Bryan going to be the starter there? Uh, so there's still a few ways they can go. They have a little bit of money to spend uh, if you look at their mid-level. And so th- they have a few options, but they, they they still have a little bit of work to do to to really get to, even even with Wall and Beal back, to really get to like a good playoff team. Yeah, I think it's really at center where the low-hanging fruit is, but maybe that fruit isn't as low-hanging. It's low-hanging in the sense that it shouldn't be too hard to upgrade defensively on Thomas Bryant, and that if they can do that, maybe they can get to defensive respectability and then have this great offense with Wheel, or Wheel, <laughs> Wall, Beal, and Bertans out yeah. there. And you know, it doesn't really matter who you put around them offensively, you're going to be good. But I am uh, i don't know who that center is who's available. It's it's tough because because the, the good centers that are out there are going to command more than the mid level. I think maybe not. Maybe one slips through, but then there's not a ton of money left over if you pay Bertans. So they they got to navigate this pretty carefully. Uh, anything else to talk about before we go here? Uh, just uh, it's just a really exciting time. I think this this bubble has been a lot of fun. Uh, I wrote for the Athletic this week about the the four biggest uh, questions I have from the first weekend of bubble action. So uh, we're talking about uh, you know 
Dallas in the clutch and whether Luca's wearing down. Uh, there was another uh, kind of second half dud from Dallas today offensively, although it looks like they might survive here. Um, and then uh, looked looked at Philly and s- some of their disappointing start uh, and this this whole West playoff jumble. Yeah, and for me, Danny and I have been doing dunked on. We're back to five days a week. We're wrapping up the night's action pretty much every night. So that's been a lot of fun. And we got uh, those three more league pass games that, that we're doing this week. If you wanted some alternate commentary, give it a shot. We're getting some really nice reviews uh, on social media and hopefully this can be a bridge to the nba realizing that there are people who want alternate commentary and particularly for hardcore fans we really focus a lot on x's and o's and analytics and encourage you to give it a shot it's really a fun way to watch the game we will take your questions on twitter as well using the hashtag nba cast you can always get those in even ahead of time if you want to and so john and i will be back on monday when the playoff picture will probably be a lot clearer than it is now we'll talk to you all then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.